Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. And welcome back to TechTastic. As always, I am your host, Christian Hammer. And with me this week is Andrew Maher of Level Up Design, who puts out a fantastic newsletter on all thing AI. But we're going to talk about the potential of the technology for automation in agencies, in workflows, etc. And one of the things that I often hear is pushback from people is that the modern version of AI is just advanced type ahead search. And I know that you have strong opinions on this. Well, Andy, welcome to the show. That's not, I don't, I mean, I know a lot of people, I actually wrote a piece about this, like, you know, I'm not, I don't agree with the stochastic parrot theory. Like, I just don't agree. It's like, it's like, it's like, where's the next word I'm saying coming from, right? Like, like, do you know what I mean? Like, at some point, we've created a, an algorithm that generates conceptual, you know, you know what I mean? That generates conceptual logic. And, you know, and yes, of course, there's a stream of words that come out from that, but I'm not sure if it's as simple as... It definitely isn't as simple as that because it's capable of creating original concepts, right? So there's something going on there that, you know, that I think is just a little beyond that. But you do know. you think that's just emergent because of the complexity of it? If you have enough data, enough processing power that uh, the seemingly creative will come out of it? Yeah, I mean, I you know, to me, what I think of is like, the you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I did a project once where I was looking at, at you know, like plants in, in you know, sped up image, sped up video of plants um find you know vines winding their way around stuff right and there's a kind of a simple intelligence there that really just comes from a from a broad search that the plant is doing and you know i think these algorithms are somewhat similar i think you know there's a good part of intelligence that is really just as simple as sort of an advanced algorithm for for language creation and and we've gotten to that you know and and that and holding together sort of a pool of data i think you know we have something interesting going on that, that definitely isn't happening before so you know that that's you know and and, and then on, and all the um i don't know if you've been following all the synthetic data stuff that microsoft's been doing and stuff like that to Absolutely. you know yeah 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 so that's interesting as well right that it, it's a tendency of a tendency of information rather than the information itself right a, a, a framework for 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 knowledge rather than the full library right so you know that that stuff is really interesting to me i think you know i think there's more utility there than than we've than we know right now but we'll see <laughs> we'll find out shortly yeah as with any technology that gets created it takes a century for humans to catch up with the potential of that and uh we're inventing new technology so fast that we'll never really catch up to the potential. I mean, we even ha we haven't even maximized the utilization of uh, the mobile devices that we have in our hands. Right. And now we're going to throw something new into the mix, which is fantastic. A uh, tremendous amount of creation potential. Uh, yeah, we've automated we've automated the process of creation to the point that we haven't fully extracted the the potential before we automate that potential. Right. Like that's 
I'm in sort of an exploratory phase right now, working with these guys, figuring out what we can create. I mean, you know, I watched a lot of guys try to jump in like four or five months ago, and I feel sorry for some of them because I, I'm like, you know, what it is that you thought was going to be the primary core of an application is really just, you know, something that ChatGPT has has created as a plugin now, right? So these guys are pivoting like mad to try to. It's you, you made an interesting point there. The uh, jump in four months ago, I, I jumped in in November, right when ChatGPT had come out. Uh, we were we were closing down and rolling the existing company into the parent organizations. The ChatGPT had just come out, and what I saw it was a generation at least ahead of where I thought we were. This moment when the complexity of it and the amount of data available to it and our processing power and all that came together, and something new and amazing had come out. And at first, it freaked me out. <laughs> I, yeah, right? I, think it every, I think they did that to everyone, but yeah, yeah. My, my initial response was most of what I've done for the last 30 years is irrelevant. And I said, once you've got the ability to solve some of these complex problems we're dealing with now with something like AI, you have the same potential to use that for extremely scary things and uh, the ability to monitor every aspect of your life, even without right. you know, an obvious yeah, issue. Yeah, but, That's what freaked me out. I was like, all of a sudden, the, the survey state reality is potential and anybody can do it because I can simply ask ChatGPT or another tool, because those are hackable, to tell me how to do it and then to ask it to go do that for the me. The arms race of that sort of stuff. I mean, it, it sort of was inevitable anyway. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is a quantum leap to some degree. I mean, where, where I really think it may, things are going to get interesting is if like we can start using AI to program quantum computers, right? Like we were having that issue with, you know, yeah, we have these quantum computers, yeah. we, you know, and then we have that level of power and exact and, and, you know, quantum computing is great at exactly the kind of thing of that kind of thing, right? Which is, you know, hyper advanced modeling and, and figuring out the, the scope and scale. I mean, I'm less worried about it in terms of, you know, there's a lot of, you know, fear of like job loss, you know, vague sort of Skynet-y stuff that I'm, I feel like if we survive the atomic bomb, we can survive, <laughs> we can survive that. What's interesting is China seems hell-bent on figuring out that level area of the technology as quickly as possible and, and implementing that as fast as possible from that like social control angle. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you stop it. I mean, I think, you know, the only, you know, you, it's an arms race, right? So eventually you're going to have to use AI for some kind of protection could trigger the opposite, right? I mean, like if you look at privacy based on quantum computing, right, the idea that anyone sniffing at your data, I mean, I don't know how much you follow that, but you know, that you can have perfect connect, perfectly safe connections because anyone trying to sniff your data changes the quantum state of your data and that automatically destroys yeah. the, the secure connection so i don't know there's all kinds of levels of that happening you know we'll see we'll see how it goes watermarking all this kind of stuff so you know the arm that that's not an arms race i'm going to get involved <laughs> in but it's certainly an, an interesting one to to keep well, an that, eye. and that's kind of where i came back to is uh, at some point the people that are worried about these types of things have to get involved and start trying to build the solutions to the problem I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. I also think about it in terms of like centralized economies and stuff like that. Like, you know, the Soviet Union, right before it failed, was very excited by the idea that maybe they could computer their way out of the problem, right? And, you know, that they could build a functioning centralized economy where, you know, computers could be used to figure out, you know, movement of, of resources right. and stuff like that. And, you know, we're finally getting to the point where we can maybe do something. 
it's interesting. It's going to have an effect. So there's going to be an economic effect as these tools are getting used for, you know, different stuff. Clearly marketing is the first place that, that you're seeing this where, you know, everyone, look, it's really nice for me when I publish a piece to be able to go in and say, look, give me an SEO optimized headline. And I don't have to go and read, you know, five blogs about rating my, you know, my optimized headline or all this stuff. I can just have one and 80% sure that it's 80% good, right? And, and that's fine for a SEO optimized headline on a blog post. And I wrote a piece about this on, on the newsletter, but you know, the, all this mid-tier content that we've been creating has some creative element to it, but isn't really what would be considered a creative process. Like that whole marketplace is just gonna, is already gone as far as I'm concerned, right? It's already been completely consumed by these, these AI tools. Um, my website is levelupdesign.com and the uh, newsletter is called the Creative AI Newsletter. I'm doing two pieces a week. Um, one is sort of an opinion piece. I'm pretty pro AI right now. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, just talking about where I see the possibilities and, you know, sort of a point of view pieces, like, you know, maybe think about it this way. And then another piece that's a little more useful and technical about, you know, tech, mostly technique, right? I'm not, I'm not offering you a hundred prompts, which I see everywhere. I'm offering a way that people can think about how they use the AI tools to get to get more utility out of them. I found process, them to be very uh, informative in that sense. Like you're you're thinking about it as a, a product productivity tools and, and things that help you do your job faster. And that's where most of the value lies today. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I mean, to me, I you know, what I'm trying to figure out generally, and so I'm sort of documenting that in some ways, is how do we inline this into existing production processes, right? There's going to be, there's going to be, you know, what I call the post-skeuomorphic future, right? That that is, you know, we've used this stuff enough that we're no longer thinking about it as a replacement for the existing tools going into what it is and how we use it in and of itself. But we're not there yet, right? We're still sort of grappling with like how do we add this into the existing pipelines and and you know for product development and technical creation. So I'm really trying to stay focused on that and think about where it can go in. And, and it's interesting, right? Because just when you think it's useful, you sort of hit the end of what a tool can do for you right now, or what Google, Microsoft, or, you know, OpenAI or Meta are willing to offer you right now in terms of access. So, you know, trying to figure out how to inline all that and how to improve your production process, that's something that I'm really interested in and, and you know, ultimately would be something I'd like to, you know, help people with consulting work on as well as my own projects. But, you know, that's when, when I was working with monetization in, in the early 2010s, that's a lot of the help that I gave, you know, it's like, how do we inline these new ideas or new platforms with the existing production process and, and where does that, you know, how do you lead to success with that? And there's a big ask, a lot of the uh, big Fortune 1000 companies out there are asking that type of question. I know that one of the questions that get asked on a regular basis is how are you incorporating AI into your future strategy or what is your AI strategy? At the moment, most of them are they're trying to figure out how to incorporate AI into a product they offer or into a service that they offer, skipping over the whole, we can make our business more efficient, we could be using these tools, largely because they have a fear of the tools themselves and the security mm -hmm. risk they represent or the IP risk they represent. And so there's a lot of opportunity right now in just answering answering that question, like which tools can we use safely, which tools don't increase the risk of intellectual property theft? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's, you know, I have a friend who's at a large, a very large game company working on a, a AAA product, and I get some input from him on where their legal team is at at any given moment. There's a, there's some struggle there, right? Because you have to sort of redefine intellectual property in order to be able to <laughs> figure this out. So yes, there's a lot do. of questions and how that's going to end. But meanwhile, you know, we were talking about before, synthetic data is coming along and making a lot of that a relevant, right? Saying that like, 
you know, we can define this as a tendency rather than based, you know, we can look at, we've looked at enough content now that we can go to a next generation that doesn't, isn't based on any of that content. It's just algorithms based on the idea of that flavor of content, right? And I think we're going to see more and more of that. Certainly the open source guys are working hard at that because they don't want to have to 10,000 gigabytes of data in order to make a functioning LLM. So that whole next level is happening fast in weeks, not, not even months. But I will say for those large companies, I mean, I think, you know, you were saying that they seem to want to go directly to consumer facing or user facing stuff. Just being able to query your own data in a significant way, right? To have something else that can answer questions about your data set. You know, that's a huge advantage that these large businesses have, right? They have their data. They've been out there. They've been doing their stuff. If they're not taking advantage of that step first, I think they're missing the biggest opportunity available right now. The lack of available talent is one of the problems that they keep citing. That they just don't have people that are knowledgeable on what to do with the data. They've been collecting the data for you know right. decades and they still don't know what to do with it, which is is just nuts to me that, that that's still an issue. But it does point to the fact that uh, anytime you have one of these gold brush moments, which we're dealing with right now, anybody who's really capable is out running doing their own thing. And then you have the people that uh, maybe want a little bit more safety. And so they look for the big company to go work for, and they're not going to do that, but they're fewer and they're in high demand. And so they get exorbitant salaries, Coca-Cola or whoever isn't necessarily going to pay that for a non, non-revenue generating role. Yeah. So they end up at the metas of the world. So then who's left? Well, the, the people that haven't really been staying on top of it and are just trying to figure it out. And so they don't have the, the skills that they necessarily need or want. They don't have the people that they need or want, and they won't because they're just not willing to, to put the money and they'd have to, to get those people. So it's, it's an interesting moment, but the, the thing I keep going back to is you can learn enough yourself to start leveraging existing tools to help inform those decisions and help you make uh, those choices going forward anyway. Like you don't have to be an expert. You can become enough of an expert by using the tools that exist to compound your knowledge and start rolling it up. Yeah, I mean, and the AI will help and you just if you have- ask it, right? I mean, I mean, that's the funny part. I mean, especially, exactly. uh, like Claude too, which has been, tra- you know, like I find is more useful because it's been trained more. It understands concepts that that OpenAI is a little like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just a simple AI from 2021. I don't understand all these things yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's true. I mean, I will say, you know, with the people that you're talking about, it's a, it's difficult to change your point of view when doing so endangers the easy life or the or the traditional <laughs> models that you've set yeah. up for yourself, right? I mean, that's, that's, I see a lot of resistance on that level. I don't want this to be true. I don't want this change to be coming, right? I mean, that's always the danger in business, right? To, that you think tomorrow is going to be like yesterday. I think that's going to take a while to sink in. And I, that's why I think a lot of this is going to end up getting done by third-party tools and, and licensed products, to be honest. You know, I, I do I do feel like that's going to be at least for the next two to three years where we're going to see the majority of the growth here is, you know, okay, I, I need it. I have a large database. I can bring someone in. They have a, you know, they have a set of tools. They'll, they're, they're promising, promising me security, and that this thing can, you know, scrape, scrape our data and bring useful insights. Yeah, I'm betting on that exact same phenomenon. They might have their own data. They're going to want to keep it to themselves. They don't want to necessarily share it. They don't want to leak out any information by using either open source or the publicly available tools. So they're going to want something right. like a private AI, and that's doable today with you know basically off the shelf yeah yeah and it's only getting in and you know i mean i think it's it's a little i mean the rate of improvement is so great now that i feel like we're still sort of a generation away from it but i'm getting like i'm getting my hands dirty on that level now because it's interesting to see it's important also to know what it can and can't do at this existing point because you know you you definitely hit walls 
you definitely hit walls in interesting places, you know, like, I mean, I use, I use AI to, uh, when, with my writing, I would say I, I write out ideas, but I don't write them in a, you know, I write chunks of content and then I get to about 80, 70 to 80%. And then I hand it off to the AI and let it do a rewrite and say, okay, do it in my voice. And then, but you know, it's really not capable of understanding fully what my voice is. Like I like to use certain words or alliteration. So it's like, I'm just going to do that a hundred times. And so I go in and do another edit, pretty hard edit on top of what it does, right? I'd love it to be able to just take all the stuff that I've done and pump out new articles just with a few lines of content, but we're just not there yet. You know, knowing that that's where we're at is useful to me, right? Knowing what it's capable of and playing around with it is is, is interesting and useful. It poses an interesting question though. If it was capable of writing in your voice with just a few paragraphs or a few pages of text to, to train it on, at what point, the, the concept of work, especially for knowledge workers, at what point does that become irrelevant. We're, we're just a bottleneck in the process. The advantage that we bring to the process right now is, I think, point of view. Mm, experience, knowledge. And, and I'm going to write about this a little bit more, but I, you know, I think scope is important. I think context is important in where they are. I think th those are key. I'm going to break these down into separate articles at some point soon. And then goals is the third one. It doesn't have a desire. It's not looking for an outcome, right? We, we bring that in and we generate. So that is the most valuable thing. Like if it could do more, then I would spend more time diving deep into structure and thinking about goals, which is already sort of what I'm doing. And that's useful and unique. Now, is that a skill that everyone has or brings to the party? Probably not. I do think, you know, it's trainable for some people, but yeah, that's the exciting, that's sort of the exciting part for me, right? Is that I can, I can bring the point of view, I can bring the outcomes and it can do more of the work. Personally, I like editing better than I like the writing part. You know, being able to be freed of having to really lets me create a much richer first draft than I ever created before, because I really don't care. You know, I, I really am able to free myself from the idea that this first draft is gonna be in any way what I'm gonna be publishing. I feed that into the AI and then it gives me something that's more crafted and then I work that back into my voice and fully and fully create the article out of that. And and I found that a freeing process. But I like the edit, you know, I like editing. Like when I'm when I'm writing, I'm mostly giving myself stuff to edit anyway. So so this really has closed the loop for me on that process. Yeah, I, I like that. It eliminates the terror of the blank page problem right away for me. Uh, I'll give it a like a single sentence thing. Like I'm thinking about something like this even in creative writing, which I don't really do, the, the rare occasion where I was playing around with it and just sat down and said, okay, we're gonna create a story about this thing. It, it eliminated all that right. the baggage that comes with a blank page that you're just, right? And that's freeing. Even if you don't like what it's doing, at least you have a reaction to it and you're like, well, it should be this. And it's like, okay, write that down, right? Like, like, like it, it, you know, even, even if you're, even if you're critical, even if you're critiquing its work, that's better than facing, than facing a blank page. For sure. I was going to say, this has been a broad ranging conversation and that's been great. That's actually what I was looking for. One of the things that you said, gave myself a note on, I said, desire, intention, and goals. Mm -hmm. Computer has no lived experience. It has no desire. It has no intentions. It doesn't have any goals other than what you give it. And that's the one thing that we can continue to bring no matter what. And I think every human contains within them desire. Yeah. And motivation, right? It, to loop this back around, if you go back to the simplest thing of AI, right, which is the first thing that I learned when I was doing the dogs project, right, which is each idea that an AI presents, it has to be rewarded. And if that idea is rewarded, that idea is strengthened. And if it's not, it's weakened, right? I mean, that's the fundamental training of the AI. But we determine what the rewards are given for, right? It has no innate desire, right? We know we want it to do something because we want some kind of outcome. Outcome, whether that's just, you know, to deliver a report, to improve our business model, whatever it is, we choose that. You know, and even you can see it, you can thumbs up or thumbs 
down the output on the chat GPT, right? To try to get it to be better at solving our problems and our desires. Hey, Andrew, this was a pleasure. Thank you for joining me on TechTastic. Well, awesome. Thanks very much for having me. It was really fun to chat. And that's a wrap for this episode of TechTastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious 